the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak, and joining us today is Hunter Land, who is the Director of Cannabinoid Research at Canopy Growth. And Hunter, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Richard. So you joined um, Canopy a little while back, back in um, almost a year and four months ago, prior to which you were with GW Pharma and uh, also with Greenwich Biosciences. So you've been involved on the research side of the industry for quite a while, haven't you? Right. I've been in research for about 15 or 16 years and about eight years within the cannabinoid science area. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, being around the cannabinoid science research for that long, you've seen a, a seismic shift in the industry where the industry's gone from general effervescence, but... Um, you know, most research being very much in its infancy, and it's still, I would still say <laughs> it is in its infancy in most ways, but companies, for the most part, not paying enough attention to that side of the uh, the equation to now more and more companies and organizations spending the time and investing into defining exactly how the cannabinoids will get used uh, along the way. How have you seen that shift? How has it affected you in your uh, move through the industry? Well, I think it's a, it was a surprising start for me, uh, first entering in, coming from more traditional research to entering in the cannabinoid science space. And certainly from a regulatory standpoint, uh, it was interesting. Uh, when I started, I remember having uh, tons of communication with the FDA and DEA. Uh, CBD at that time was a Schedule One, meaning uh, mm-hmm. had no medicinal use and um, even storage conditions required 5,000 pound safes and bolted to the floor behind multiple locked doors. And, right. and now, you know, you can, uh, you can see, find CBD in your local gas station. So there's yep. been a huge swing um, from the regulatory framework. Um, in terms of science, you know, we can see that as technologies progressed and we've applied these uh, technologies to cannabinoid science, uh, a lot of the previous knowledge has been superseded, and uh, that does make the industry a bit difficult to navigate from a scientific perspective because there's still a lot of outdated and misinformation circulating, uh, and there's not really a, a reputable source that's kind of uh, clarifying where the science stands now. Yeah, and that that is a big problem for, I think, everybody who's serious in the industry is that, uh, you know, the disinformation that's out there and, you know, where people refer to the, you know, cannabis as being the miracle cure for every wonder in the world, which it clearly isn't. Um, it's an important part of a treatment protocol, but it isn't, you know, I don't know that it's an absolute cure for anything because it's, but it is a definitely a treatment towards a lot of things. But, you know, some of this is referred to as the mystery soup of cannabinoids and everybody talks about THC and CBD, but let's go beyond that. Because quite honestly, that's where that's where it gets interesting, in many ways, is what the future really holds, and so how little we know about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, that's one of my interests for sure. Uh, so, in the cannabis plant, we know there are at least five hundred and forty-five bioactive compounds 
Um, there can be about 200 or so odd uh, terpenoids produced by the plant. And then there's at least 120 uh, different phytocannabinoids. And, you know, when, when people say cannabis or cannabis-based treatment, you know, cannabis is not cannabis is not cannabis. Same with CBD uh, formulations, because you do have these other potential um, active constituents and how they work together or how they can uh, actually counteract or uh, be unproductive in combination is certainly an area of interest, as well as, you know, characterizing uh, a lot of these other compounds. So there's certainly uh, decades worth of work to be done. And tell me, when you're when you're doing your research and tying in, do you tie directly back to the ag team in that, you know, the cannabinoids that are present in the plant vary during the grow cycle and some will produce earlier and drop off. Others will develop later. And it's, you know, with just 11 different, if we just were focusing on 11 different compounds within the plant, we'd still have 265 billion combinations possible out of that right. we're dealing with 500 plus um do you do you map in with the agricultural team to try and isolate you know the right mix of compounds that you want to work against against the growth cycle or how do you deal with that well the growth cycle i think is just one component you also have things in you know light humidity soil type that all can influence mm -hmm. um you know uh, cannabinoid production at the beginning and end of the growth cycle so i think it's a, a complicated mix uh, certainly i do coordinate a lot of my research with the ag team uh, as well as the manufacturing team because uh, you know what what exists in the plant between that part and the way we can actually study it, especially preclinically, um, there are a lot of steps in that manufacturing process. If you're trying to isolate certain specific compounds or get a certain specific ratio, uh, there's some advanced techniques for doing that. And uh, obviously the more complicated these ratios are, the, the more difficult it is to study uh, and determine what actual components are useful and which ones may be counterproductive. Yeah, and you know, you, you touch on an interesting piece there just tangentially is the, you know, all of the environmental factors will play into it as well and standardization, which is a requirement for if we're really going into pharma, is a big challenge with a plant that is so sensitive in its growth cycles and variability. Um, you know, and that's where driving down to APIs is incredibly valuable, but then you lose the, you know, you're look you're looking to recreate the profiles. Uh, for you know what people commonly refer to as the entourage effect, how how do you deal with that? How do how do you look at it? Well, I'd love to touch on entourage effect. Um, I, I know that uh, there's been a lot of work um, in this area. One of my colleagues and good friends, uh, Dr. Ethan Russo, uh, has focused uh, extensively in this area, and um, I think that there's been some subtle changes along the way. I think initially this was, um, it actually initially was used to describe endocannabinoids and endogenous esters and their synergy within the body and then migrated to plants. Uh, and the first focus was THC plus CBD. And then gradually we started talking about these other minor components. Uh, and in certain indications, you do see that combinations, although we're not sure what ratio is ideal, 
but you certainly do see the benefit of, of combinations. And I don't think this is unique to, to cannabis exclusively. Um, we see this with cancer treatments where you may use one cancer drug to restrict blood flow to, to a site of cancer and the other to uh, be toxic during cellular division. Um, it's kind of this rational polypharmacy, and that's what you can get within cannabis, but you can also get the opposite. So um, I think it is important to characterize these things. Uh, when you hear terms like CBD isolate versus broad or full spectrum, um, like you mentioned earlier, there is this mystery soup of what does that mean because you have so many combinations and their pharmacology can be so vastly different um, that, that that term itself um, you know, doesn't really equate to effect unless you know exactly what's in that mystery soup, as well as uh, what what uh, levels they are. So not only what is there, but how much do you need? So I think that's where we'd like to go with entourage and look at these additive effects. And I'm working uh, pretty closely with my team on doing some of that work with, you know, combinations of cannabinoids and very specific terpenes where you get effect. And we've seen in many cases where you actually get uh, the opposite effect of what you want because you've got two different compounds that are actually working against one another. Mm -hmm. And then we've seen massive synergies as well at much lower doses. So um, again, a lot of, a lot of research uh, needs to be done in that area. I think the, the broad statements can be uh, challenging and, and possibly misinformative. No, absolutely. And that's, that's one of the, one of the challenges for the industry as a whole is there's a lot of broad-based statements which don't have a lot of backup to them, but people speak as demagogues very uh, authoritatively, and uh, that creates more problems than it's worth. It's uh, you know science is science is factual. It's not based on hypothesis. We're going to have to take right. a quick break and be back right after. But love to follow up uh, some more with regards to some of the projects that are underway and. Uh, aspects around that. So coming back in a moment with Hunter Land from Canopy Growth. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Hunter Land again with uh, Cannabis Growth. And he's, of course, the director of cannabinoid research there. And Hunter, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we've been chatting about and chatting around is some of the quality controls um, that do and don't exist within the industry. And, you know, each one of the challenges for this industry, which developed very rapidly, um, in the last few years and then hit a bit of a brick wall, but it continues to develop is, is standards. And there's no uniform international standards because there isn't an international uh, protocol in place. So every country tends to be a bit different. 
The medical standards are obviously much more strict in uh, certain jurisdictions than the recreational, like in Canada, uh, actually in every jurisdiction. But medical itself also varies dramatically from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. How does that, how does that impact you and your work, the fact that medical isn't consistent in its definition? Yeah, I think it's a bit scary. I mean, uh, one, you know, we want patients, um, if they are being prescribed uh, medical cannabis, to get a consistent product and for them to have an idea about dosing, um, as well as, you know, making sure that they're taking this consistently, like with food, so they get consistent levels. Um, but uh, then you have kind of this other big issue is uh, contamination. Um, as you know, uh, cannabis is a phytoremediator. It can soak up contaminants in the soil, especially heavy metals. And mm-hmm. we planted cannabis at uh, Chernobyl to help with uh, fallout. And if you're not having uniform standards about quality, um, then you risk you know, seeing some uh, exposure to pesticides and metals uh, and then possibly complications down the road that then again, you know, are attributed to cannabis use, and it may be something uh, altogether different. And we've seen some of that in in the industry broadly. There was the the vape uh, scare, where mm-hmm. some of these compounds were calling this causing this mysterious lung illness, and it turned out it was an additive that's commonly used in foods, vitamin E acetate, um, but that hadn't been looked at in vapes. So safe to swallow and consume, but not to inhale. Um, and those kind of gaps, I do think, are scary without doing safety testing to ensure, you know, not only are you getting what's labeled, but you're also getting something that's free of contaminants. Yeah, and isn't it really boiled down to at this point that the, you know, the federal government in the U.S. is doing a huge disservice to the citizens by not uh, regulating it to a national standard for purity and leaving it on a state-by-state basis and all also potentially opening up every one of the industry participants to liabilities in the future as standards are, uh, you know, as legalization happens and everybody looks backwards to what was done. Yeah, I've seen countless reports of cannabis having, you know, 200 times the amount of organophosphate-based pesticides Mm -hmm. uh, than what's allowed in an apple, for example. And some of these products are, you know, being given to an elderly or even pediatrics. Um, and, And it's just scary to see that. And I'm not aware of, you know, any other area where you don't have some sort of uniform testing where they say you can use this to this level on this product and it needs to be tested and consistent. So uh, the FDA is currently deliberating around dosage, like what's a safe dose for a supplement. Um, However, you know, in the meantime, they certainly should be coming out and saying these products are not allowed in these cannabis products until uh, or these uh, pesticides or adulterants aren't allowed and then next we're coming up with, with what's the safe dose. So um, I do think that's a, a big concern from my standpoint. Yeah, and, you know, I look at it also, you know, I'm, I'm up in Canada and here we've got the federal legalization, which was put in place, but the national uh, system for distribution is a mess. And you have dispensaries operating, which are not really licensed, but everybody assume, presumes that because we have federal legalization, it's all safe products and people are buying products that are not tested, taking them home and consuming them without an understanding that if it's not a tested product, they don't know what they're getting. And And, and uh, what damage are they doing, right? They're trying to help themselves in the long term. They may be more damaged than good. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've been and spent a lot of time in Canada and I know that there's a big black market. You know, there's some services where, you know, cannabis products can be delivered to you. And there's mm-hmm. even apps that are that that are uh, functional to, to help connect you to these products. And in the U.S., there's still a huge black market. There's been uh, there have been a lot of drug busts in California and national forests where the cartel is still growing cannabis mm-hmm. and they're using the super toxic uh, pesticides, and that's getting into the supply chain of CBD products and cannabis products across the United States, and and some of these are incredibly harmful. So, uh, you know, we've got a lot of lot of work to do on the regulation standpoint. We do up here. The challenge is the Hell's Angels are heavily involved, and you know they're they're looking to make their revenue, not worrying about you know the health of the consumer in the long run. You know, in this final segment, Hunter, what I'd love to chat about is a bit of the standards and quality controls that are necessary for not just your work, but for everybody in the industry, on the medical side of the industry, uh, really pushing forward and what that what's going to be required. Um, you know, there's going to be, have to be some form of international standards around the compounds, but it goes beyond what varietals are being grown. It really has to deal with how we're using the composting how, and how we're applying them. Um, and then the quality, quality wise, you know, I've had so many people say to me, well, I'm producing to an organic level, completely ignorant of the fact that true medical is much more stringent. That variation internationally must cause a lot of dilemmas for researchers like yourselves because nobody has standardized product from one lab to the other if they're sourcing them from different countries. How do you, how do you address that? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is we need truth in labeling, especially, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, not only we mentioned contaminants earlier, but also cannabinoids. And people, I think, should understand that just because you read one paper and one segment of research that says cannabis does this, that could be altogether very different. And that doesn't actually extrapolate well to other disease states. So I think, you know, first is some general education that it was. Uh, Second, for researchers, we need to, you know, demonstrate exactly what we're using, you know, what level of THC, CBD, CBC, what other constituents are present. Um, And then we can start learning and developing hypotheses and testing them, whether it be preclinically on humans. So I think that's the first step um, is just making sure that we get to a consistent level um, of what we're taking. Uh, and then I also think that we should, you know, uh, if, if we're doing clinical trials or something, we need to take into account, um, you know, are people taking this in a fed state or a fasted state and try to get some consistency there so we can identify at least starting points for dosing. Um, because, you know, as you may know, uh, there is a tremendous food effect with many of the cannabinoids. So three to five fold different levels of exposure um, based on whether you're taking it with a high-fat meal or not. So if 10 milligrams of CBC, for example, is effective to treat this, uh, and that was given on an f- empty stomach, what happens when you know, my individual is you know, eating pizza before, and now they've got effectively 50 milligrams? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, these things complicate the research um, and potentially uh, utility for patients and certainly uptake by physicians because uh, we need to know how to dose these uh, products uh, appropriately. But, but that presumes a single molecule within the dosage, whereas sure. people are producing varietals that have 
great variability depending on the environment they're produced in, the climate, the topography, the soil, and the latitude. Um, how, you know, so the inputs that are coming in are going, you know, the, a plant that is grown in Canada inside one, let's say, canopies facility is going to be completely different than the same varietal if I produced it in my facility in Colombia. But then, you know, we produce, we, we adhere to the um, same standards uh, or the required standards, let's say, for uh, purity that both Canada and Germany would require. But another producer down the road may not. And if you're dealing with source, and if researchers are dealing with source material in the two countries, even if they come from the same plant, the variability is going to be huge. How, how do you propose to address that? What do, what do you think is necessary? Because obviously some level of quality control or standardization is necessary, just like it is for the dosage control delivery systems. The inputs themselves have to be somewhat standardized. Yeah, I agree. I, I, the idea of using certain uh, names, usually kind of outlandish names to <laughs> describe certain varietals or chemovores, to me is... Um, it's not really that productive because as you mentioned, they can vary. Even if you take a cutting, um, it can vary from batch to batch significantly. So um, I, I feel like having at least at a minimum knowing not only, you know, how much THC and CBD are present, but these other compounds would be extraordinarily helpful. Um, and, and we can do this. We're capable of measuring it. I believe in, in Canada right now, the requirement is labeling requirement for THC and, and CBD only. I don't, uh, I don't believe right. there's a requirement for uh, terpenes or um, other cannabinoids, which you know, in itself would lend itself to a lot of different utilities. So mm-hmm. I think uh, that's a good starting point as for the complicated nature of, of different plants and what could be there that we don't even know is there. That's, um, that's something that just requires more research. Um, and I think it'll be a while before we get there. Oh, it will be. I mean, we're mapping. We built a software platform as part of our grow uh, that brings in all the environmental and climate data and everything about the cycle of the plant because we need to be able to understand what are the triggers, what are the, you know, the annual differences during, as the, uh, the sun moves across the sky, how it varies just even the uh, inclination to the output. And, you know, as you said, you can take a cutting, it'll be completely different. We see that from one growth cycle to the next, depending on the cloud cover. Um, Mm -hmm. even, you know, within the greenhouse, even though we'll use lights for the veg phase and everything else, there's still tremendous variability and mapping all of that. It's beyond, you know, it's not a, it's not a simple task. It really is big data applying into the inputs so that patients on the output can start having better information to understand what's working and what's not. Um, but you know, on that, unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment. It's been uh, it's been great having you on, Hunter. It's uh, thanks to everybody for listening for the two parter. Um, Hunter, any last words you wanted to share with people with regards to you know um, controls or uh, quality standards? A myth you really would like people to uh, forget about quickly with regards to medical cannabis, and also if anybody wants to reach you for questions, how should they do so? Uh, well, thanks, Richard, for having me on. I, I think um, first I would say um, I think as consumers and certainly amongst industry, we should start insisting on uh, on standards and requiring a certificate of analysis for products. I think that's the safest thing to do, and that's 
I think in the best interest of patients and as well as the industry. So that's the first thing. Um, as far as myths, I would, uh, any outlandish claims, anything about, you know, super crazy bioavailability or this is a cure-all, um, I think those those claims are risky. So I would be wary of any company that makes those, those claims. Um, and oftentimes those aren't legal. So uh, yeah. that's kind of already a, a bad <laughs> actor, in my opinion, if they're willing to lie to that degree or, or speculate, then I, I don't trust that company. Um, yep. And as far as reaching me, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, certainly could uh, reach out to me be, via email. Happy to, happy to continue conversation. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today, Hunter. And it's been uh, really interesting and educational. Thanks, thanks to everybody so for listening and uh, look forward to being back with you again next week. I'm Richard Zwicky and you've been listening to The Green Peak. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.